millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. What you're doing down here, you're showing me, man. Hello and welcome to Monday's Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast after a hell of a weekend for Leicester City, even in this season of great weekends for Leicester City. Hello, Ken. Hello, Murph. Hi, Owen. Hello, everyone. A 4-0 stroll past Swansea yesterday, followed by Riyad Mahrez being named PFA Player of the Year last night. And in amongst all that, their Premier League title bid received the unqualified support of the current champions, Chelsea, <laughs> who play their title rival Spurs next Monday night. The fans, the club, the players, we don't want Tottenham to win the Premier League, said Eden Hazard to match it a day. We hope for Leicester because they deserve to be champions this season. We have a good game against Tottenham next week. If we can beat them, it will be good. Cesc Fabregas builds on that, talking to Sky Sports. I believe Leicester will have the league wrapped up by then, says uh, Cesc Fabregas, rather breezily. Spurs are pushing hard to get as close to them as possible. But I think Leicester will win it, and deservedly. I don't want Spurs to win for what they've done through the season. I'd love Leicester to win the Premier League. <laughs> mm. So I suppose this is a case, Ken, of Chelsea players expressing opinions that we would have been fully aware that Chelsea players possess, but are maybe just somewhat surprised that they're going out there and saying it in public. Well, it's it's stupid from these Chelsea players for a number of reasons. Um, the last game of the season is Chelsea against Leicester. I mean, are you serious? You know, are you, are you seriously? The integrity of the competition this? has been compromised somewhat by yeah, these remarks. You would think. Come on, it's it's, it's pathetic, isn't it? and it's not really Tottenham should be worried about these Chelsea players. The current, or the the former uh, reigning player of the season, player of the year, uh, Eden Hazard, who just scored, I think, his first goal for like a year in the league. Uh, a guy who completely uh, wrote off the season. You know, a guy who disappeared this season. Fabregas, another another disappearing act. Now they're coming out and saying, oh, you know, we hope that Leicester deserve it. Leicester deserve it. Well, yeah, I mean, I can't really necessarily argue with the, with the um, sentiment. Sentiments. But are these guys like pundits on TV now? Is that is that <laughs> how they see themselves? Uh, offering these uh, fresh opinions on the title race? It is kind of strange that they are saying it when they still have to play them. Well, to both teams. They have to play both yeah, teams. Yeah, they have to play both of them. And they're expressly saying that they support one of them. 
Well, maybe they they just got carried away with the euphoria of mathematically confirming that they couldn't possibly be relegated uh, this season, which ha- <laughs> which happened over the weekend. Uh, but you know, I, I don't think Tottenham really. I, I think Tottenham. That's that's a real you know pin it on the dressing room yeah. the, uh, wall kind, kind of thing. I don't think Tottenham necessarily need to be too worried about. You know well, the, if, yeah. the challenge that awaits them with Chelsea. We've seen that Chelsea have no, but yeah. they might. They might the, be. The, yeah, the yeah, concern they is might be worried about it if it does go to the last day, day of the season. I, I don't know. I mean, I, it's it's hard to you know you you, you start with the assumption that teams want to win every game, but they don't. <laughs> you know, or rather, wanting to win doesn't mean that you will. You know, wanting to be Tottenham doesn't necessarily mean they will be Tottenham, and I'm sure they will. But not being that bothered about beating Leicester is a thing that might creep into the. I don't know. Not being bothered either way is, uh, you know, that 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 is a way of creeping uh, around the dressing room. I would have thought. You think that they actually, when it, if it comes to it, Chelsea will man up on that last day of the season? Well, I, I think there will be a certain amount of pressure on them to do so. I mean, you would expect Leicester to beat Chelsea anyway, because yeah. they're, you know, they're the team that that have, you know, they've been better than them all season. They already beat them uh, in the other match between them. Um, you know, and they're obviously the team that's going for the title. They're at the top of the table. You know, you think Leicester are probably. Get, I mean, what have they got? Thirty more points than Chelsea? Mm-hmm. Something insane. Um, you know, you, you've seen it happen. I mean, Liverpool beat Blackburn that time. Remember the '95? That was uh, a very similar situation. You know, there's nothing in it for Liverpool if they win. Was it a, wasn't a draw in the end. No, it was a two-one win. It was, two-one win it was a last-minute, yeah. last-minute free kick by Jamie Redknapp. But you know, there was if Blackburn won the game. Blackburn are going to be the champions. Blackburn were managed by Kenny Dalglish. Yeah, yeah, all the incentive that was there for Liverpool to ease off mm. that day. Either that or give Manchester United, uh, you know, potentially a, a three-in-a-row title win. And they beat them. And, and it was only because Manchester United didn't manage to do it on their end that they didn't win the league that year. Yeah, and to be fair to Chelsea, I mean, it's not like... Uh, it's completely unheard of. The teams just completely pack in at this stage of the season. I mean, mm. I was watching... Uh, City against Stoke on Saturday morning and I was like whatever Stoke Stoke on a wet Tuesday evening as the ultimate test that football can uh, provide you Stoke away from home after they've already secured a top half finish in the Premier League in the sunshine in April (laughs) that's the complete opposite of what you think uh, uh, Stoke on a wet Tuesday night means because I mean like they were I couldn't believe how bad Stoke were. Well, Stoke are, you know, it's. I mean, they've they've lost four nil to City, four nil to Tottenham, and four one to Liverpool in their last three games. So that's that's all you really need to know about Stoke at this stage. Big question of the day: mm-hmm. Will there be an FA Cup semi final edition of Ken's Ghouls on the podcast? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I lost the Ghouls a little bit there. Well, yeah. Uh, this is after all the competition, Murph, in which it all started back at the. Well, it might have been the well, second round FA stage. Cup goals. Yeah, it it's FA Cup goals. That's what it is. But it's not, well, it's completely morphed. It's been Champions League, and there's even been Premier League. International. No, there was a Champions League. There was. Oh, there's been more than one non FA Cup goals. Yeah. FA Cup. There will be. FA ghouls. Non FA Cup goals. There will be on, but I can't promise you when it's going to be. Oh, okay. But it will be there. He's, he's going to strike at the moment you least expect it Report on. Report on sport time. Well, I guess we talk, we'll start talking about uh, Leicester City, who are uh, serenely uh, cruising towards that Premier League title. So the situation now is they need five points. And they've got three games to get the five points. And, okay, um, the next game is against Manchester United. This is an interesting situation. Um, Man United need to win. They've still got something to play for in the league. They've still got the Champions League to play for. It's Manchester United at Old Trafford. 
you know, in any other circumstance, he would just go, well, that's three points for Manchester United. We know that's not the way it is this season. Um, but that's the first one that Leicester have to get across. Then it's Everton, uh, Everton and rather at home. Everton, who who look, you know, shattered now, uh, who obviously lost that cup semi-final in heartbreaking circumstances. Genuinely was heartbreaking, actually. Roberto Martinez would have been justified for once in using that word. Uh, and then the final game against uh, Chelsea's Beach Brigade. <laughs> um, so, so, so uh, five points is kind of a slightly awkward number to get out of the three games. I mean, two, two, two wins obviously does it. Otherwise, you can't lose one. You know, you need to. They lose to Manchester United, then suddenly they open things up. But of course, this is all based on the assumption that Tottenham, meanwhile, win all their matches, uh, and Tottenham's matches look more difficult. West Brom tonight. That's uh, you know the kind of team that are adept at getting nil nils. But are they maybe in a bit of a Stoke frame of mind now? Uh, Chelsea obviously um, uh, is the, is their next game away. Chelsea will be difficult for Tottenham, you would imagine. Away at Chelsea, well, you know they've got to back up all their big talk now. Chelsea, the Chelsea fans will be up for it. The players, well, you know we've we remain to be convinced. We remain to be convinced that those Chelsea players really are capable of putting it up to anybody. Um, Southampton next, another team. Another tough side, uh, and Newcastle away, almost certainly fighting for their <laughs> survival. Yeah, fighting with spirit now, yeah. with some level of organisation. So it's a tough uh, run of fixtures for Tottenham, and they need to win all of those to make Leicester need five. If Leicester, you know, to stop Leicester from winning the league, so so they, even they drop two, they draw one. Spurs say that means that Leicester just need a win. Yeah, well, they need. They, need three, we just need Tottenham three. need you know two wins and two draws minimum to force Leicester to get one more point. Yeah, if they're not going to win the league, I so, think Leicester are the league champions think, again. I think Leicester probably have this one in the bag, um, and obviously they managed to do this without Jamie Vardy. People were wondering if this would destabilize their their setup. In in fact, uh, it was it was all cool. Rajoa <laughs> came in and scored two. Uh, Ranieri. Um, saying, you know, everyone wanted to see what our answer was. That was a fantastic answer. I know it's not easy in my mind. Tottenham will win all their four matches and we will need to get five points. But why be nervous? We've enjoyed everything. We're having a fantastic season. Um, so it's all it's all going pretty well. Uh, we have a dream so far now. Make the dream reality. Now is the right moment to push everything. Everything. Um, so uh, they then went down to the PFA dinner where <laughs> their boys were... Uh, number one and number two in the PFA. Probably just as well that Spurs were banned from attending by Maurizio Pochettino, mm. as, as I saw dramatically reported. I mean, rather, uh, with, with a certain dollop of common sense, yeah. Pochettino said, we've got a pretty big game on Monday, so no, they won't be going out in the piss on Sunday night. Yeah, <laughs> there's not really not really a lot they could do there. Fairly cracks the whip, all right, doesn't he? <laughs> um, so Mara's player of the year, uh, men's player of the year, Izzy Christensen of Manchester City is the... Women's Player of the Year. Della Ali of Tottenham is the Young Player of the Year. Oh, well, maybe he would have liked to have been there. And Beth Mead of Sunderland Ooh. winning the... Mara's ahead, ahead of... Vardy. Ahead of Vardy and ahead of Kane. You think that's fair enough? I think it is. Uh, I mean, just if you think of, of the season that Mara's has had, I mean, he's. I mean, there he was again yesterday kind of scoring the goal that settled everything down. The goal that he scored against Manchester City is arguably the most important goal of the season. Okay, I mean, actually, they won the game 3-1. I think he scored the second. Uh, was it 3-0 or 3-1? It was 3-1. Then City got one back late. But uh, I think that was the moment when 
Well, there have been loads of these moments, but he scored a brilliant goal against Chelsea as well, if you recall. But that goal against Manchester City was a really big moment. Um, 17 goals, 11 assists. Um, like, just ridiculous. From a, from a guy... I mean, nobody would have expected this. Vardy uh, has obviously had an outstanding season as well. Um, Harry Kane, I'm sure, will be back for another one of these. Uh, Kante maybe a little bit unlucky. I was going to mention him as well, yeah. But that's what happens when you don't score that many goals. It doesn't matter if you completely dominate the game between the two penalty areas. If you don't score goals, you don't tend to win the Player of the Year award. He's peerless in this league, N'Golo Kante. Yeah. Well, obviously, one of his peers is going to get the Player of the Year award ahead of him. But yeah. he's absolutely he is a, uh, the he's man. peerless at what he does in the uh, game-dominating but not goal-scoring role. Uh, Alan Judge, in, oh, the, the team of the year uh, was De Gea, uh, Bayerine is the right-back, Alderweireld is the other centre-back with Wes Morgan, Robert Hoots maybe a little unlucky there, Danny Rose is the left-back, uh, Riyad Mahrez, N'Golo Kante, Dele Ali, Dimitri Payet, Jamie Vardy and Harry Kane. Serious Spurs Leicester. Yeah, look to it's, that. it's four Tottenham and four Leicester players. One Man United, one Arsenal, and one West Ham. Um, in the um, championship team, Alan Judge got picked in the midfield. Poor old Alan Judge. Um, out with like a double broken leg. Mm. Um, but at least some recognition for what was a great season by him. So uh, hopefully it'll knit back together for him. We talking doping in football? Specifically doping, alleged doping in the system of uh, Mamadou Sago? Well, I mean, I think this is, I mean, this is a huge deal. You know, it's it's kind of like where, I mean, we we were talking about it in the last couple of weeks. It's like, oh, where's the evidence? You know, the players are doing this. And, okay, here here's some evidence. Um, Sacco reported to have uh, uh, produced a uh, sample with an adverse finding after the Manchester United, uh, the Europa League game. Um I think the, it was the match at Old Trafford uh, where Liverpool drew 1-1 went through. Uh, he played really well that night, actually. Uh, it was reported um, in French media that he had that the substance uh, in question is like a, uh, something that comes from a, a fat-burning pill that he was taking, presumably in an effort to lose a bit of weight. Mm. Um, stories doing around today that, in fact, he was dropped earlier in the season for being overweight. Right. Uh, we will talk to Tony Barrett about that because he's obviously been at uh, Anfield over the weekend and spoken to some of the people there and probably has a better idea of what the situation is at the club, what they think about it um, uh, and what's going on there than, than we do. But, um, you know, what's what's going on? Uh, say, for instance, Mark Lawrenson was writing about this in the Mirror and he commented, it's as strange as it is surprising. And the first question that sprang to my mind was, why on earth would you run the risk? Well, because you didn't think you were going to get caught, and, obviously. And you've apparently been told that you're too fat. And <laughs> this this enhances performance. You become a better player. Well, do you, though? Um, well, you yeah. get, well, well you, you go down that road, then. They you know, call them... Per- there, yeah. Lauro says, they call them performance-enhancing drugs. To the best of my knowledge, no drug on the market can make you trap the ball better or oh, shoot no, more he accurately. Say that, did he? People he still did. say this. Yeah, they do. I mean, it's 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 a big reason why 
you know, it's it's not really taken that seriously in in football. Yeah, but it's so such obvious, so obviously bullshit. I mean, if if that if you were, why does anyone train? Why do you bother? Why does anyone bother training? I mean, if if it's only about trapping a ball, why don't you just train the skills and not bother actually physically making yourself? any stronger I come on I would have thought at least the recent debate in football has opened people's eyes to the fact that of course if you are faster stronger more durable you're going to be uh, you're going to improve your performance in hmm. a game as physically demanding as professional football I, don't, I can't believe we're still <laughs> yeah. operating at this the debate at this level it's from 1995 or something yeah, but, you know, people are still maybe a little bit resistant. And, and you could, like, I mean, I was writing about this, I wrote the Irish Times column about this, and I was looking at sort of the reaction to what happened over the weekend. So Liverpool lost, or lost a 2-0 lead. They drew 2 all against Newcastle. Mignolet threw one in, as we've frequently seen from Mignolet. <laughs> yeah. And he was just getting hammered for it, you know. Oh, Mignolet. And Sacco was kind of like, I mean, the, the Sacco news seemed to me like a big kind of blow to the to the club, you know, it's exactly the kind of stuff. What? What? He's actually he's been one of their best players over the last few weeks. Um, for the first time in a in a while, they kind of got a central defensive partnership that was working. The defense was kind of functioning. The team was rolling. Suddenly, he's out, and not only out, but in a kind of a scandalous way. It's like, oh, what's going on here? And uh, you know, that seems to me a much bigger deal than Mignolet, who we know is is not a very good goalkeeper throwing one in. I would argue there's probably no drug in the market that could prevent Simon Mignolet from <laughs> dropping these balls into his net on a consistent basis. <laughs> I might go with that. Uh, Maybe there is. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what's he, what's he going to... Uh, what's what's going to happen to him? You know, is it going to be a... Uh, is it going to be a ban of... You know, Colotura's ban of six months, but maybe it's going to be more. It could be, could be two years. Could could be a two-year ban for that. And I wonder what would happen when people would be saying, well... Is that really fair? What we want to do is lose a bit of weight. Come on, are we really going to get our knickers in a twist over just trying to drop a couple of pounds? What's the big deal? Yes, we are. If, if you're waiting for an answer to that question, yes, we are. We are going to get our knickers in a twist. Yeah, well, well, yeah. unless football feels it can operate at a different... Well, American of, football does. Oh, yeah, it completely does. Mm. All American sports do. American football, it's, American football is a, a joke. I mean, he... If he was playing in American football and he... In fact, what he would probably do right now is say, look, forget about the appeal, forget about the B-sample. I'll take my uh, two-match ban. Four-match ban is usually what it is. Two, four, or six. It depends on how bad... Say, if, for instance, you tried to tamper with your sample and bribe the drug tester, you might get six matches. Yeah. <laughs> if you... If you, if you <laughs> there was a case of that last year. Captain remember the name of the player was in the Super Bowl and had uh, you know, been up to all sorts to try to get his... to try to... Uh, hide, you know, it was, yeah. uh, it was full on stuff, and it's like, oh, four match ban for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep talking, you're going to get yourself a seven match. Ban. <laughs> well, it's only six on the first. Yeah. Six is the maximum on the first offense. Second offense, you can get ten, and the third offense, they're like, look, <laughs> you're making, you're actually making us look bad. So that's a two season ban there. Yeah, it's a two season ban for the PR <laughs> disaster that you're presenting us with. Not, nothing to do with the PEDs. So maybe the maybe the American football attitude to this whole uh, business is more mature. Maybe they're, maybe they've said, okay, you know what? Sport is sport has got this big thing about doping. Sport is sport is oh, doping is terrible. Doping's bad. But when did sport start to think that? So, I mean, doping the first the first kind of idea of drugs is playing a part in sport. You know, where 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 originally sort of allegations that like someone had drugged 
say, uh, a team or a, or a horse or something to make it play badly or to, you know, to drug, giving it bad drugs, not performance enhancing drugs, the opposite kind. And then suddenly, oh, hang on, we can, you mean we can take this stuff to make us better? And eventually they, they got around. I think, I think the first Olympics where they started testing for the was 68. Right. Um, 68, which is also a time of, uh, you know, um, who else was using drugs around then? You mean recreationally? Just the hippies, Ken. The hippies. Yeah. The, all the hippies, all the GIs in Vietnam, they were getting sent to Vietnam and they were all taking smack. And the people were getting in, in, into a bit of a panic about this. It's like, what's going on here? Our society is crumbling. It's uh, The fabric of our society is coming apart. Guess who else is using drugs? These communists. You know what I mean? This sort of is the sense of this is like a, a social plague that we have to eradicate is kind of uh, big at that time. And sort of, I think, uh, Mother's Little Helper, you know, like six years before, that's obviously that's fine. That's just, you know, the march of uh, the march of science. Yeah, but now that uh, come sixty eight and the this everyone's dropping out, pincer assault out. with yeah. the, the red horde on one side and then the the hippie yeah. uh, throng on the other side. We we've got to stand up for our civilization here, and and that those sort of attitudes have conditioned the, you know, the way that sport looks at drugs ever since. And I wonder though if if it's beginning to, you know, I was thinking about this in American football. I mean, we were in America for for a week. Remember, we were sitting in that taxi. Myself and Owen had to bring a bunch of gear across town. Yeah. And we were sitting in what Jimi Hendrix would have called cross-town traffic. Mm-hmm. And it took a really, really long time. So we were sitting in that back of the taxi cab. I actually started reading my Kindle uh, <laughs> after a while. It was just impossible to... Oh, no, because you know the stilted conversation when both members of the party are mm. slightly annoyed at sitting there and anyway, I don't understand what the re- re- uh, well there was there was what was what was in that cab on? you were attentively what was in that the little TV in the oh TV yeah. yeah and what do you see on that TV inane morning do you remember the TV ad that shows? they were showing actually there was an ad for a particular kind of pot I forget the brand name of the pot even if I remember I probably wouldn't mention oh there was, no, there was an ad for an Italian restaurant that w- gave away free pots free pot, free saucepans and pots with each pasta and mm. the the owner of the place was like, people can't get their head around the fact this pot is free. We give them the pot. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I still have no idea what the relevance is. And I think we must have been in the taxi for like five times <sighs> the average taxi journey because we got to see this loop of ads so many times. Mm. But they also have in those things, they also basically are advertising uh, drugs all the time. Different drugs uh, for what ails you. Mm-hmm. Right, whatever it is. Whatever it is, there's some kind of a pharmaceutical solution. It's kind of like an accepted part of life. You know what I mean? It's, it, it's, it's like so saturated through American life, the idea that whatever, whatever way it is you're feeling, are you feeling suboptimal? Are you feeling suboptimal, Owen, <laughs> today? I'm feeling pretty optimal, actually. Are you sure, though, Owen? Maybe not. Are you sure what are you you're feeling suboptimal? Well, I mean, I'm, all I'm saying is that I've got this stuff that you can rub into your scalp, and <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Just You're my, feeling a lot more optimal after that. You could end up, end up maybe having a more of an optimal, sort of, <laughs> you know. Oh, look, you know, it's not it's not for everyone necessarily, but you know, if you, I how's your digestion today, Owen? I haven't eaten anything. I just realised. Yeah, you're probably a little. Yeah, you might hungry. Be, yeah, to put food into that stomach after not eating anything, you might want a Zantac. Just to I could just uh, eat a banana, it's just straight up. I don't think I need anything else. Well, you know, it's absolutely, absolutely, if you feel that way. But the point essentially is that it's like in in normal life, everybody is is, is encouraged to look for these 
solutions. It's like it's that's a, that's different from the 1960s. You know, the the 1960s when when these kind of uh, when the when the drug policy, the kind of zero to- tolerance policy uh, that support has towards drugs was sort of set in place. Now, I mean, I'm I'm only I'm just talking here, right? I'm just talking, but I'm just trying to find a reason why American football in America you get this kind of oh come on, who cares? And I kind of get the sense that when this is such a part of normal life for so many people that maybe when they look at you know sports people, sports guys, football guys juicing in the NFL, it's kind of like well, big deal. Then why was Lance Armstrong one of the biggest stories of all time? Why, why does it is it a massive deal in other sports? Maybe because you don't have too many fans of U.S. Postal out there. That's one reason I think you don't have as many U.S. Postal fans as you've got say Liverpool fans. I think you take you fans take a lead from from the governing body. You know, I, I don't actually think that you can dump this on the American people and say they don't care about doping. I mean, the NFL is telling them not to care about doping. I mean, they they don't care. The NFL don't care. Uh, they're giving out these pathetic punishments. So if you're a fan, after a while, it's like, right, well, okay. I mean, am I really supposed to be a moral crusader on this issue? You know, am, am I supposed to, like, burn my season ticket because Von Miller doesn't get a two two-year suspension? I mean, if the NFL say... That's a, you know, that's a minor infraction. Fans are going to think it's a minor infraction. I mean, I, I think that uh, fans are a lot more easily led on this than maybe we think. So yeah, so which which also has the implication that, you know, if uh, that the idea of oh, oh, well, this should automatically be a two-year ban. Maybe fans are being led on that too by a kind of, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, an authority striking a particular position or or saying you know framing it in a certain way this is a serious uh this is a crime against sport you know that that kind of is part of the um the wider sort of isn't there's basically three three ways there's there's three kind of criteria it has to be performance enhancing it has to be damaging to health it has to be against the spirit of sport and has and in order to qualify as a banned ped performance enhancing drug you have to fulfill two of those criteria. So, for instance, uh, cocaine, not a noted performance enhancer, is nevertheless illegal because it's damaging the health and against the spirit of sport. The spirit of sport in this sense being a kind of an abstract idea about sportsmanship and, you know, good behavior and, you know, let's kind of, you know, and obviously hard to square with the image of, you know, Diego Maradona at like seven in the morning. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, even though so, and and then so that's so if if it's uh, if it is against two of those things, then that that makes it a banned substance. But you know, I don't know. It's the question is whether that's still a, a sort of a test that should be should be there. I mean, for instance, I to me the biggest argument that that still sort of stands in terms of making all this stuff illegal, if or, or preserving these rules that say this should be illegal, rules which are getting more and more kind of complicated to enforce and to sort of well, is this really are we doing the right thing here the the most compelling argument in favor of keeping this structure is that if you don't you're basically making them compulsory yeah well that's one certainly one of the arguments yeah i think it's the biggest one like it's a, because at the moment there's at the moment it basically means that if you are an athlete who doesn't want to do this you're protected by the 
by the structure. You can't be forced to do it, really. Well, I suppose there have been teams in which athletes kind of have been forced to do it. You know what I'm, you know what I mean? But like, if a Premier League manager turns around to his squad and says, "Right, lads, you know, here's the new gear," and you know, a few of them are like, "Well, really, do I want to do that? I'm not sure I want to do that." They, you know, they can't actually be forced to do that. But if it was a situation where it was like, "Okay, let's let's make this legal. Let's sort of, you know, a kind of a harm reduction." approach as opposed to a zero tolerance you know drug war approach uh, then you're left in a situation where actually it would be a case of this is, you kind of have to take this now you, you, if your coach there's social pressure suddenly on you from you know maybe direct pressure from your employers social pressure from your teammates and it gets harder to ignore that if if it's kind of accepted okay well this is a, this is okay yeah, but, yeah, well the other reason uh, another major issue with just saying, okay, fine, let's legalize everything, is the message that it sends about governing your sport in general. It's it's as though, right, well, we decided this was very important for a very long time, but actually, because we were getting hammered and everyone was doing it anyway, we have just given up on it. We've actually given up on enforcing what previously was seen as a very important pillar of our rules and fair play. We can't do it anymore. So if, if I'm looking at that, I'm thinking, well, what can you enforce then? You know, it's, it's as though you've kind of you're letting the lunatics run the asylum there to a fairly large extent. Well, I don't think that's a strong argument, actually, because if that was the case, then you'd never reform any malfunctioning law. Like, I mean, we'd still burn witches. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, we, we burned witches for, like, hundreds of we years. We say malfunctioning. It's, it's, it's hardly perfect, but it's you, you still, you know, it's still there. It's still serving a function. It's not as though... It's not the as law though it's is still complete. correct. It's just uh, you're, you're giving up on the... You're you're giving up on the practice of of the law. I mean, the the, the idea behind the behind setting uh, uh, the 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 formation of the law is still correct. You still believe that doping is wrong. So, I mean, it's, it's not like you know they say the the witches example is 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 not analogous in this situation because you know the the, the idea of the law in the first place was ridiculous. The, mm. the idea is still right. You're just giving up on your good idea because you can't enforce it. Well, what about then, say, uh, a, a more, maybe a more analogous thing would be prohibition in America, where they, where, you know, a kind of a religiously inspired temperance movement said, you know, drinking is bad, drunkenness is awful, look what it's doing to our society. Let's, let's stop all this. And, you know, after a few years, they said, actually, you know what, let's just, start drinking again this doesn't this doesn't work all we've got now is a bunch of gangsters uh, who have got rich from selling alcohol a bunch of blind people who have blinded themselves by drinking you know their home home brew and everyone's still getting drunk anyway and the prohibition noble as its ideal may have been you know depending on your point of view just doesn't really function anymore so that you know it's an example of why you know sometimes sometimes you do need to uh Sometimes you do need to change things. That's it for Ken Early's report on sport. What the? We when ring we, a gong when now. Do we, when do we bring the gong into studio? Today, today. FIFA made a movie recently. Did they? John Delaney could run anything. They did, they did. About themselves? Yeah, about themselves. Oh, that's ego, isn't it? He could run FIFA. Certainly better than Sam Blatter. Yeah, that is, that's incredible ego, but the real movie's on its way. Yeah, I'm off to see the Queen tomorrow too, don't forget that. No, no, don't forget that. In 2009, I called him an embarrassment to FIFA and an embarrassment to himself. And I, and I said it to him across the table, just like I'm talking to you. We're one or two explosives. He said, no one speaks to me like that. 
And you said? And I said, what I do? And that was it. We were two explosives. And I just asked her to move on. It was an extraordinary moment. She, she was here, she tell you, just stared at her for seven or eight seconds. And I said, move on now, please. And then he moved. When I went in and told him how I felt about him, yeah. and there were some expletive views, we came to an agreement. It's a very good agreement, if I like. And you've used the figure there. Well done to you. Let's keep talking, Toby, though. And uh, in particular, the Mamadou Sacco case. Uh, Tony Barrett is ready to go. Tony, uh, Jurgen Klopp afterwards seemed limited in what he could say about this. I don't know if those limitations were self-imposed, imposed by the club, or just a part of this due process. Obviously, it has to go through the, the usual procedure. But did anyone manage to get any detail out of Klopp afterwards? No, no detail whatsoever. I think... I think, to be fair to Liverpool, and, and, and you have to say they've had a bit of practice at crisis management over the last few years. They, they've learned from previous mistakes. Uh, I think during the various situations surrounding Luis Suarez, there was there were too many news cycles. There was the, the story uh, always had legs, and I, I think uh, those lessons went into their reaction on Saturday. And, and Liverpool basically shut themselves down. They, they released a statement uh, which made clear exactly what the situation was, but in limited terms. And, and, and that was about being open, but it was also about trying to ensure that the story didn't grow and, and get any bigger than it needs to at this time. It's obviously a difficult situation for the football club and, and, and they're managing it in that, in that respect. But it, it, it's, it's a massive blow. There's no question about that. And you could sense that at Anfield on Saturday. I got there early. Got the sense something wasn't quite right. Didn't know what, but there was there was clearly things going on. So got to the ground early, and you obviously see club officials who are more busy than they'd usually be on a, on a match day. And so you know you know something's coming. It's for those of us who, who cover football, you you always have that sense, and it's 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 behaviour that repeats itself. It is people being much more busy than they'd normally be, and and talking in corridors and whispering all that kind of stuff. It's, and and that was what was going on at, at Anfield. And, and clearly we're preparing for something big and that something big turned out to be a, a failed drug test for, for Mamadou Saku. So it is, it's, it's a hammer blow for Liverpool. There's no question about that on every level imaginable because not only was Sacco doing really well and part of a team that's been doing well and under Jürgen Klopp, it's also that thing you don't want this kind of situation on. You don't want uh, to be associated with these kind of problems and, and unfortunately that's where Liverpool find themselves right now. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is sort of the interesting thing about it. I wonder how, what's your sense of how seriously Liverpool take it? I mean, okay, we, we have to 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 say that uh, no charges have been brought against Sacco yet. I think he has until Tuesday to explain, you know, what happened and they have to look at the B sample. So, you know, but if hypothetically this was to result in, you know, a doping positive and a suspension, what's Liverpool's attitude to that going to be? Is it, is it going to be, well, this is disappointing, mama, but... Uh, you know, we, we welcome you back at the end of your suspension, or is it going to be, you know, Liverpool players shouldn't be testing positive for drugs? And uh, sorry, you know, thanks for all your your service. Goodbye. No, that's, I mean that's a, the, the difficult situation, and, and obviously it is. It is as you say, it's, it's still hypothetical. I think, I think in an ideal world, clubs would 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 take a zero tolerance approach to to, to anything like this. I think. It, why Why do you say in an ideal world? Just because. In the real world, in the, in the realistic world of football being a business and a multi-million pound, in, well, billion pound industry, it's, uh, people will put business before models, and, and I think we've become used to that and accustomed to that, and 
the standard of, of morality is, isn't as high as it should be in football. So that does, you, you do then have to take it into idealism and that mightn't be right, but it's the way it is. And uh, Liverpool would, would have to bring business into whatever decision they make. They would have to weigh up what they would lose from, from transfer fee, uh, but what, what they would lose from reputation by keeping them. So it's, it's that balancing act. And, and we've been here before with Luis Suarez. If you, if you think of the mistakes Suarez made, if you, if you think of the uh, the biting offences, uh, the the uh, racial racial aggravated, uh, not a conviction, but but the ruling against them by the, the FA Commission. If you if you if you weigh those up and you say as as an employee, if you were a groundsman and you had those things against you, you get sacked. But if you lose Suarez and you weigh it up to seventy five million pounds and and one of the best players in the world, you probably get punished and treated slightly differently and, and, and that is the sliding scale that is the sliding scale that exists in football those at the top, those, those very very good players will always be treated more leniently than other employees and, and, and that is where the ideal world scenario comes in it's, and, and it's one of those I'm, I'm uncomfortable with myself I, I'm, I'm very uncomfortable, I think all employees should be treated equally but I, I, I do also recognise that in football, it's not necessarily like that, and I know that in this situation, Liverpool will have a lot of thinking to do before they come to whatever decision they do come to. Well, they do already have Colatore, and you know, Colatore yeah. they signed after he'd he'd done a suspension. I can't remember whether they signed him during or after. Presumably, it was after the suspension, but he was suspended for six months for you know supposedly taking his wife's diet pills. Um, you know, we don't know yet what this what this substance that Sacco is, is alleged to have had in his body was, but, you know, the French media report that that was announcing it said that uh, it was a fat burner. So, it, you know, it actually sounds, on on the basis of the facts that are out there, quite similar to Carlo Turi's case, who is a Liverpool player. They say, you know, they they obviously reckoned in, in Turi's case that, okay, he, you know, he did this bad thing, he got a suspension, he served a suspension, and now he's like any other player. Yeah, I think I think the time and significance as well. I think if you look at Torre time, there was there was different punishments in place. There was different information for the players. It's I think it's it's probably very important. And I think it was 2013. FIFA wrote to all players and and warned them of the, of the danger of taking certain supplements. Uh, and they've since I think it was 2015 they they increased uh, the punishments for for those who fall foul. So I, I, th- I think the time and does does change things. It, it makes it probably worse for Sacco than it would have been for Torre. Torre got a six-month ban, and the bans are now, you're looking at between one and four years. Uh, you've also got, you have got that that level of information that's come from FIFA. So you've got less less wiggle room as a player. Uh, and But but I agree with you. I think I think Liverpool, once you sign a player who's, who's failed the test on, on these grounds, it makes it, probably does, again, it's another model layer. It's, can you really sack someone? Have an employee, someone who you, who you know knew has done something similar. So it is difficult, but Liverpool are in a, in a very bad situation at the moment, and I think that's why, primarily why they 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 are saying so little because they need they need the time, they need the space to come the space to come to the right conclusion. And it, I think whatever conclusion they they come to, and and this is where it's particularly invidious. Whatever solution they come to, some people think it's wrong, and there's no way around it. Uh, Tony, he'd obviously been playing well, and it turned into you know he's an unorth- unorthodox kind of a player, but um, he ha- had been playing his best stuff and turning himself into a bit of a hero, certainly a bit of a one of those cult heroes, I guess you might call it in, in football world. But uh, there was there's a story going around that he was actually dropped for being overweight by Brendan Rodgers at one point. Do we know is that true? Yeah, that was 
the start of the season when 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 Brendan Rodgers was getting a lot of criticism from particularly from fans for picking Dejan Lovren ahead of Abshako, and I remember at the time thinking it was particularly unfair, and and this is where. We, we never know exactly what goes into team selection and, and people just think it's a case of picking the best 11 players. I mean, it, it's never anything like that that easy. Uh, managers have, have got a number of difficult choices they have to take and one of them is what kind of condition is the player in? And, and that is the kind of thing that only they and their fitness staff know. But Sacco reports are back for pre-season overweight uh, and, and that was, for people who were on pre-season at the time, that was pretty widely known. So, so that was when, when Brendan did make that decision to leave Sacco out. It was basically an ultimatum. You need to sort yourself out. You need to get yourself fit. You need to get your conditioning right. And Sacco's always had these issues. It, this isn't uh, what happened in pre-season wasn't unique. He's always had these issues of after injury. If you see him when he comes back, he struggles. And it's because his condition isn't, isn't and there may be physical, biological reasons for that, we don't know. Uh, but whatever the reasons, he struggles with his condition at, at various times. Uh, and at that stage, Brendan Rodgers just said to him, you need to get your fitness right, and until you do, you won't be in the team. And, I, and, and as I say, Rodgers got a lot of criticism for that choice, for that decision. Uh, but if you look at it, if you're a manager, and you've got 25, 26-man squad, and all of them but one have got their condition, their, their fitness right, what do you do with the one? Do you indulge him? And, and I, for me, I, thought, I always thought Rodgers made the right decision on that. Uh, he, he had to he had to get his fitness right, and to be fair to him, he did. And 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 as you say, he, he has improved. I think the last three months, he's he's been one of Liverpool's better players. He's had some massive games uh, where he where he's performed particularly well. Ironically, one of them was with the game at Old Trafford when he when he tested positive afterwards. Uh, so so in terms of form, in terms of fitness, he's been as at his best for Liverpool, and and that's what makes this again what makes it such a hammer blow for Liverpool. Uh, well, okay, it was, it was a miserable enough day at Anfield for most of the people there. There was at least one very happy man, though, who was Rafael Benitez. He was back, uh, and I wondered, did he warmly greet you and the old the old crew there? Did he slaps on the back and asking about the kids and all that kind of stuff? You, you, I mean, that's the thing. The, people would be surprised. People have this image of Rafael as being cold and removed from, I don't know, sensitivities, whatever way you want to put it. Uh, but Rafael, there was, there was a... There was, when he saw us after the game, we we do our separate bit for the Monday papers, uh, and there was five or six of us in the room. There was two of us that that worked this patch uh, at the time when he was in charge of Liverpool, and uh, at the end of it, he, he let the other journalists go out, and and he spoke to us very warmly. And they're, they're the bits that people don't see. They're, they're the bits when when they want to create an image of, of an individual and a caricature, even that they don't see or they don't want to know about these elements of people and. and I always found Rafa good to get on with. I, I always thought the the image of him was at odds with the, the person that I think a lot of us saw. Uh, obviously, within the dressing room, that's a different scenario. And, and I, my theory with Rafa is that 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 coldness, and I, I do I, I do realise, and I, I absolutely fully accept that he's cold around the, the training ground. I think that coldness is is what allows him uh, to be as calculated as he is at half-time in games and, and allows his team to get points that they wouldn't otherwise do. And, and that was what happened on Saturday. Newcastle were, were, Newcastle were dead and buried at half-time. And, you start, and the question was how many would Liverpool get? But Benitez makes, makes a tactical change. He gets the team more compact. He gets them 
more willing to, to counter-attack, gets hands off Townsend more into the game, recognise that Alberto Moreno's playing too high and so so pushes Townsend higher. And, and from that, the game turns. And and that is... We we basically saw on and off the pitch that this was Benita, this was the Benitez that everyone who covered Liverpool for for any time was used to. Uh, so it was good to see him. It was good to see him doing well as a manager. Obviously, the Liverpool supporters didn't want to drop points, but I think if they were to to drop points to anyone at the moment their favourite choice would be a team managed by Benitez Tony Barrett brilliant stuff thank you cheers good to speak to you stop it that's one of those things stop it how many players can do this that man can never die 34 years old It's one of those things. Death man can never die. Only the actors who play him. No, he did. No, he did. Do you think Robbie Keane just said, you know what? Any questions about me being the MVP of this league? I think he just said right there. Oh yeah. He's got more of a tan than me. That's interesting on Rafael Benitez that Tony reckons the coldness that he exhibits almost always in public and on the sideline is actually not really natural to him, that he's, it's really put on for professional purposes and that he's quite a warm guy behind the scenes. Yeah, I mean... I'm, I'm slightly extrapolating there, but that's, that's a, pretty much what, what Tony's saying. It's interesting because it's, it's one thing that so many of his former players complain about is that exact coldness. I mean, if, if it is the case that um, his icy uh, exterior is only a shell over a warm, you know, uh, sort of caramel inside... Yeah. Maybe he might want to occasionally show a bit of that to some of the players who, in past times, have said, you know, I, I wanted to punch him in the face. I mean, Dudek, I think, was saying he wanted to punch him in the face. Yeah, but sometimes some of those players do great things for him. Stephen Jarrett played very well in Rafael Benitez by being shifted around the pitch. Yeah, and, and then Xabi and, and Alonso decided he wanted to leave. You know what I mean? I, yeah, I don't know but if he's always... a Spanish player who will always go... To, I mean, every top Spanish player wants to go to Real Madrid or Barcelona, ultimately. Yeah. I don't think you've, you can blame Rafael Benitez for that, necessarily. Well, I think he, I think he was involved in it, mm. you know, definitely. I suppose Real Madrid come along and want to, want to sign Alonso. It's going to be difficult to hold, hold on to him. But you know, um, he didn't help the situation with his, you know, Xavi, you've fallen below standards for the last twenty games. I'm, I'm cutting you and bringing in Gareth Barry. <laughs> I mean, Xavi Alonso didn't want to hear that, you know. And if Real Madrid come in on top of that, then it's well, my, my future is clear. Have we made a call on Ken's ghouls? It's just it's so divisive. You I don't, don't even know. have to ask. Well, yeah. it's not divisive in this room, on. We're all four square behind Kins Ghouls. Let's talk to John Bruin first, who was at Wembley for both FA Cup semi-finals. Man United against Crystal Palace is uh, the final now, evoking memories of 1990. John, it's one for the oldies. Do you remember that final yourself? I do actually. I was there. Oh I yeah. I was there. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, my memory of that occasion, uh, I went to the first game, though not the second, because my mother wouldn't allow me to go to the replay because uh, I had to go to school, um, <laughs> was that um, the absolute panic amongst uh, Manchester, I was in the Manchester United end, amongst Manchester United at, uh, I suppose, the, the goalkeeping of Jim Layton. That's a famous occasion, isn't it, where he was uh, so bad that he was dropped for the next game of the FA Cup replay. Probably the first time that we saw Sir Alex Ferguson make one of his trademark ruthless decisions, the one that paid off for him, uh, and the first trophy of his career. And there's so many comparisons to be drawn there. Um, 
Uh, Alan Pardew yesterday after Crystal Palace beat Watford really didn't uh, refrain from making those, uh, play, playing the nostalgia card. He said that um, Palace's first goal, uh, which was headed in by Balassi, with a flick on was a tribute to the tactics of Steve Coppel back in 1990 from that first three-all game in the FA Cup final. Um, but there is something that's a little bit different to that uh, for the, to that time, which is that if you recall, that was Sir Alex Ferguson's first trophy and set him onto a glorious run, and it is said saved his job. The problem is for Louis Van Gaal, it doesn't look like winning the FA Cup is going to save his job. You're kidding me. Why? No. I, well, okay, Louis Van Gaal, they've won six out of seven, unbeaten in nine. Marcus Rashford is coming on strong. He's a one-man army. Uh, Anthony Marshall uh, fulfilling his potential. Uh, FA Cup final against Crystal Palace, reliving the glory days of 1990. Uh, what? What's not to like about this uh, situation? Well, the thing is, Ken, the points you make are absolutely valid and um, would make a good point for someone keeping the job. But the person that really doesn't seem to believe it now is Louis van Gaal. Uh, an incredibly downbeat uh, demeanour in the post-match press conference on Saturday. Now, just before he walked in, I was saying to my uh, colleagues and friends, I'm looking forward to this, this is going to be good. You know, he's really going to go for it. And he was glum, miserable almost. Um, as, as in, so you expected a sort of, are you not entertained from Louis van Gaal? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Defiance. You know, I told you so. Vindication, that type of thing. And, well, and, I, I saw him doing a, a pitch, uh, you know, on-pitch interview uh, on TV, and he was having a big moan about the ref, exactly as though Manchester United had just lost the game to a, to, uh, to a last-minute goal, and he was, he was sort of frustrated. But what, what did he say then afterwards? Well, okay, so somebody, somebody made the, you know, the question, you know, do you, do you think this helps the, the questions about your future? Uh, a stony face he replies with, and uh, that's up for the board to decide. Now, previously, he's taken on journalists and said, oh, well, okay, have you spoken to Ed Woodward? Do you know more than I do? That type of thing, you know, being, uh, you know, quite confrontational about it. Um, and he, the, the attack he did have on journalists was, are you not going to say anything positive? <laughs> mm -hmm. But whereas the, the reason there wasn't really anything positive going on was because Louis van Gaal looked pretty glum. Looked like he knew that his time is up there. Even with all the good feelings that Manchester United supporters associate with the FA Cup, I mean, it seemed, I don't, I don't know if uh, this is certainly based on a lot of what, what we saw. And I suppose it was the circumstance of the winning goal as well. There was a great shot of David De Gea celebrating. It was yeah. lingering for about 30 seconds, uh, which is what people might have seen today. And you can just see how mental all the fans were going. Uh, and they, they, they do like an old FA Cup triumph, I suppose, as every other club does. Is, is, there, no, is there nothing even in the relationship between him and the supporters that might have been mended by getting into the final? Um, listen, if he, if, he, if, he, if he was to uh, win the FA Cup and get fourth place, then obviously that could change opinions. Um, I think actually if you look at this, the, the, the run-in for the end of the season, if United win all their games now and there is a uh, positive result between Manchester City and Arsenal in the game they play against each other, then United will qualify for the Champions League. That's unless Manchester City finish fifth, finish uh, fifth and win the European Cup. Mm. Um, all getting quite complicated, isn't it? Um, but uh, if you go back to uh, 
Van Hal. Um, I think there was a sort of double-sided emotion for a lot of fans, which is if they lost that game, then that meant that Van Hal really would be going. Um, and if uh, they won, then they get to see Manchester United in an FA Cup final. It was, I suppose, a little bit of a win-win situation. Um, I, I do think, though, that the FA Cup, its lack of importance uh, these days, as compared to those days in 1990, won't be enough to save him in the eyes of many. And if you think about it, I mean, uh, United have had a fairly easy run to the final, um, aside from uh, West Ham, maybe. Um, and, you know, an Everton team desperately, desperately out of uh, out of sorts uh, until they perhaps should have won the game. Actually, I think Romelu Lukaku is probably will be having nightmares for some time about that. And Crystal Palace in the final? Well, if he doesn't win that, then that really is the end for him. But the, the difference in the importance of the FA Cup, uh, I think, is quite selling for me. And just, just, just think about it uh, in terms of Arsenal over the last couple of years. They've won the FA Cup twice, but that hasn't really... Uh, made Arsenal fans change their opinion that Wenger, it's time to go. Yeah, I think it did get him a little bit of... I think that first FA Cup win, though, was was kind of important, you know, in terms of at least they had a trophy. They couldn't say Arsenal haven't won a trophy since... You know, there was all those lists of things that have happened since Arsenal last won a trophy and that kind of all had to stop. It wore off pretty quickly, though, didn't it? But what it, it did, and I suppose the second one almost really felt like it didn't matter that much. But... Uh, what about the other victorious manager, Alan Pardew? He was, of course, the teak tough sentinel of Crystal Palace in midfield that day in 1990. Now, uh, a manager uh, leading his team triumphantly into another FA Cup final, just as he did in 2006. Um, another crack at the uh, at silverware. Uh, a triumph that warms the heart of all true football supporters. Yes, yes. Back in 1990, he had, had wonderful blonde highlights in his hair. I don't know if you remember that, was he... See, it was a player that just, you know, an all-action player. I don't think even Alan Pardew would describe himself as a good footballer, but uh, he was a player that um, made things tick. Um, a sort of, I don't know, who's a player I compare him to? Um, perhaps a little unfair on Jordan Henderson, because I do think he possesses quality, but a little like Jordan Henderson in the way that he ran forever all game. Um, but the modern-day uh, Alan Pardew... Um, is uh, these days the Silver Fox is um, he's, he, it's an interesting thing about him three managers, four managers um, over the weekend three of them under under pressure of losing their jobs um, and Alan Pardew, a manager who's won just a single Premier League game in 2016 was the one under least pressure and uh, is the one celebrated most by his club's fans Presumably and, he, he struck a Humble sort of note in that uh, in that press conference. I mean, you know, he's aware of how fortunate he is to be in this position. Well, do you know what? I think he was more humble than I've seen him before. I mean, I've seen him win at Old Trafford and stuff like that, and be unable to wipe the smile from his face. Yesterday, he was a a little more. Uh, he was certainly respectful of Kike Sanchez Flores, um, but yeah, th 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 there were there were elements of banter thrown in there um, he was asked about the 1990 comparisons and he said yeah yeah I've tried to play it down before actually going on to talk about 1990 at great length and then joking about the fact that John Salako one of his one of the people he works with at Palace talks about the 1990 final every five minutes um, I think I think the thing is with, with Pardew um, 
what he was talking about, and th there was actually an element where he was perhaps defending his own uh, achievements this season, apart from the FA Cup, was talking about how the potential of the team that he's got is great, uh, and this is the best group of players he's ever worked with, and how they should be better. I mean, definite praise for Wilfred Zaha, Yannick Bellassi, and he has got a talented team. They have underachieved this season, if you actually look at the players they've got. Um, but, uh, you know, Alan Pardew, uh, in the final, um, will be making himself available for as many media appearances as he can, I would have thought. Um, far cry, I mean, just 18 months ago, uh, was the ho most hated man in Newcastle. OK, second most hated behind Mike Ashley. Now he's at a club where he is uh, remembered as a, as a playing hero and he is um, also the man that's taken him back to the first FA Cup final in 26 years. So, uh, Alan Pardew, South London hero. John Bruin, great stuff, thank you. Cheers, lads. You don't seriously believe that Louis van Gaal has saved his job by getting them to a cup final, or will save his job by winning the cup, do you? Is that how far they fall? Well, he's he's making a good case uh, at the moment. You know, this is the best they've played consistently over the season, over the last few games. I mean, it wasn't as though they played amazingly against Everton, but they did. You know, they, they played well in the first half and won the game in a dramatic way. Uh, they could win Trevor. They could easily get the Champions League. They could they could easily get that. So, which is a nice place to leave everything for the next manager, <laughs> Jose Mourinho or whoever else. I'm sure, that would to make him very off. happy. I mean, you do forget how good some of these young players are. Martial has been unbelievable for a young player who's come in with a huge price tag and everything that's attached to that. Rashford has come out of nowhere. Like they do actually have players who they didn't have this time last year ready to potentially build a team around. Maybe see what he said about Rashford, but I don't think see what he said about Martial. He's, he's, oh, he's brilliant. He's exceptional. Yeah, he's amazing. He actually missed a chance. He missed a really easy chance in the first half, which is rare for him because he just took a big left foot swinger at it, which yeah. he never does. You're, you're thinking, geez, Martial, normally you're a bit calmer than that. Yeah. And then he gets a chance in the last minute. Did, just did you see how excited he was uh, to score that goal, though? I yeah. mean, it's literally by miles the most excited I've ever seen him. Yeah. Um, he managed to calm down at full time. He was strutting around again at yeah. full time, remembering it was his image. A last minute injury time winner in the FA Cup semi final at a packed Wembley is enough to get Anthony Marshall excited <laughs> for 30 he's, seconds. He's finally found the, the reason why he's playing football. It's like, yeah. oh, yeah, okay. That yeah, was, fair enough. Good. Yeah, that Enjoyed was that. fun, actually. Yeah. That's it for today's Irish Times Second Captain's no, Football Podcast. Thanks, Ken. It's not. Thanks, Murph. That's not it. Ah, who am I kidding? The magpie is renowned as the most intelligent of birds, and 11 magpies would probably have made a better job of this FA Cup tie than humans selected by Steve McLaren. News. Look at that! Oh, look at that! News. Oh, oh, what a goal! Oh, that's a magnificent goal! News. Interesting. Very interesting! Oh! Ken's goal. <laughs> French wing wizard Anthony Martial imposed martial law down the left wing, <laughs> twisting and turning past Bezic with an exhilarating display of martial arts. The cutback from Martial created a chance to which Fellaini proved enthusiastically partial. <laughs> Everton's chances mainly accrued to Lukaku, who had chances coming out the kazoo, but his efforts went askew and he couldn't find a breakthrough. Everton hit back, but what a delicious irony it was that United's rearguard was eventually undone by a big mistake from none other than... Chris Smalling. Uh, but just as it looked as though Everton might seize the victory, United's young warrior prince again grasped the horns of destiny with thanks to Marshall. Manchester United's stars shall go to Wembley. <laughs> Nicely played, Ken. Nicely, Ken. I mean, the, the dichotomy, the big, small dichotomy. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Uh, yes. Classy. We can't, we can't finish there, because you, you forgot to get to something entirely, which is actually very important. 
It's nothing to do with the goals, though, so we can lose that. One second. Ken's goals. That was, it wasn't bad, was it? I know, I just feel we've been we've been talking for quite a while. People have yeah, things but to do with the rest yeah, of the day. Yeah, but, you know, that's it's not my fault down that you couldn't get to everything on your agenda. So I'm just going to... I'm just going to... I thought you'd never stop talking about doping. I mean, that seems to go on for a long time. But listen, who, who am I to critique? Well... We have to talk, Owen, about the Champions League semi-finals for Sean this week. And in particular... Does plucky, sound important to us, plucky, at, plucky Atletico Madrid. Uh, now, did you see what happened between Atletico Madrid and Malaga over the weekend? I did not. Well, Atletico Madrid won the game. That's the headline. But um, Diego Simeone got sent off uh, for... Well, it's one of his best sendings off yet. I think the best Diego Simeone sending off. I mean, he's he's got an eight-match ban uh, before. What was the eight-match ban for again? Uh, four games for tapping the back of the linesman's head, two games for protesting, one game for applauding his sending off, and one game for remaining in the stands instead of leaving the stadium after his sending off. That was a while ago. Mm-hmm. He got sent off in the Champions League final uh, for, you know, marching onto the field and trying to chin Rafael Varane. Uh, but on this occasion, he's been sent off for ordering a ball boy to throw a ball onto the field to stop an Atletico, to stop a Malaga counterattack. <laughs> so the guy is running down the field, and suddenly this ball just bounces, you know, sort of onto the field, and everyone's like, what, what's that? And the ball has blatantly come from, like, Atletico's bench, like, from directly behind Simeone, like, it practically passes over his head. And, <laughs> and, and the ref comes over, and he's like, okay, he threw the ball on the pitch. And Simeone's like, ooh, what ball? I don't know. What ball? Uh, and the ref is like, seriously, Simeone, I'm going to need an answer from you. Who did that? And he's like, whoa, 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 I, don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. So the ref sent him off. And now he's probably going to be banned for the last three matches of the season. Is this intelligent gamesmanship or just like a guy who's got lunacy. a serious problem? Utter lunacy. Okay, Malaga didn't score. Fair, fair enough. You could, there's a video of him in which he, it's a, it's a, it seems to be a ball boy, a ball boy he's thrown it. There was a, there was the doctor, uh, Atletico's, um, sports science specialist who was like running around going hey it was me I'm Spartacus I threw the ball but it's, it seems like there was a ball boy but you can there's footage of Simeone watching this counterattack develop it's like a throw in quick throw in down the wing and he turns and kind of indicates to someone behind him you know go for it and the, this ball <laughs> is thrown and he just it's incredible yeah. he's uh, it's he's up against Bayern Munich and uh, there's no question which team most of Europe will be supporting. Usher McConville and Carl Mannion in studio for our second podcast of the week to talk about Dublin's fourth league title in a row, hammering Kerry this weekend. That's it from this show. You're okay to finish now, Kim? You give the Ken Early seal of approval? Yeah, I guess I guess we can come back to... Um... You heard the gong. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks so much for listening. We'll chat soon. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.